Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello everyone and welcome to the Mariner's Mirror podcast. What a treat we have for you today, one that is particularly relevant because of our growing contemporary awareness of issues surrounding mental health. Today we are talking about the troubling history of madness at sea, a fascinating topic that allows us to range freely across the oceans of history, picking up a variety of stories here and there that highlight different aspects of how the maritime environment has affected the mental health of sailors in the past. Now, any of you who have spent any time at sea will know how the unique conditions of being afloat can fundamentally change the way that you think and also how you experience the world. It will come as no surprise, I suspect, that there have been occasions in history when humans have been pushed to their absolute limits and their minds have cracked, where a firm grasp has catastrophically failed in a sudden or violent shock, or when doubts and anxiety have crept in like a tiny hole in the hull of a ship, unnoticeable until its weight has become both too heavy to easily ignore and too heavy to easily fix. To find out more, I spoke with Nick Compton, whose brilliantly titled book, Off the Deep End, explores this topic in great detail. Here's Nick. I hope, as ever, that you enjoy listening to him as much as I enjoyed talking with him. Nick, thank you very much for talking with me today. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me on the show. So, Madness at Sea, what an amazing topic. Um, wh- why, why did you decide to write about this topic? Um, I was, I've always been interested in psychology and um, obviously interested in the sea. And um, I just had, at one point, I wondered whether there was anything, anything had been written about it. And I stumbled across a, a, a small book written in the 1980s that was full of um, illusions and delusions and plus a few stories. And I thought it was a wonderful little book and um, they could be expanded into something sort of bigger and, and updated and more contemporary. So that was the starting point. Did you have any kind of personal experience? Did you say, actually, I, I, there's something I can draw on here, I know about this? Well, also, I've, I, um, I've lived on boats um, all my life, on and off. Um, I, I was on boards. Uh, I've lived on boats since the age of uh, two weeks, 
and um, I lived on boats in, in, in the Mediterranean uh, right until the age of 15. Um, really 95% of my time, my life at that point was lived, lived physically on a boat. So I had the background on boats. I didn't really know I had any background in the psychological area, if you like, until I, I was researching it and I started talking to my dad about um, his uh, history and his life on, on boats and specifically in the Navy. And that was when I discovered, um, I'd always known that he'd been shipwrecked at least once and um, had, had a few hairy times in the Navy during the Second World War. And then he told me about um, one incident in particular when he was sunk on um, uh, the ship with the Galatea, HMS Galatea, of Alexandria and um, it was quite a it's quite a, a notorious um, uh, shipwreck it turns out the ship went down in three minutes of the uh, 550 uh, crew on board only a hundred survived including my father who was picked up by passing uh, British ships that, that were in the area and when he described the um, incident, um, he was describing these the, the, the voices of, of um, his fellow uh, sailors and officers um, in, in the water calling out for help and how he was trying, he, he tried to go towards them and they, 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 the, the, the voices would disappear. Um, and it sounded traumatic. Um, he never said anything. I mean, he said he, was, he, he mentioned the guilt he felt at being an officer and um, allowing this to happen, allow you know that he, was, he felt partly responsible for um, basically 450 um, people were dying, and that's as far as it went. And then later, when I looked at his service record, I saw that um, after that incident, he had been retired from active service, effectively with a, with a note, effectively saying he was mentally unfit to to serve in in, in, active, in active service, active duty. And he was retired basically to um, an office job. And um, I then spliced that together with things my, my mother said about him in later life, that um, even as an old man, he, he hated to watch uh, war films where there were battle scenes. Uh, if he did, he'd wake up in the night uh, crying out, shouting out in his sleep. And this was 70 years after those incidents that incident had happened, so it made me realise that there was a there was a <laughs> there was a connection there, and there was um, trauma in his life, which nowadays we would call PTSD. I mean, that's that's basically what, what he what he suffered from for the rest of his life. Yeah, it's um, I mean, that's quite clearly one of one of the the worst experiences you can have is being sunk on a ship in war. Before we talk more generally about the sea and. Uh, um, the difficulties of being at sea. Why don't, why don't we just talk a bit about why it's good fun? <laughs> Let's talk about the fun <laughs> bits about being at sea. Because I think I do think it really helps to um, put it into context. Because the, the being on a boat and being at sea, it, it is very much a kind of yin and yang. There's a black and a white going on. And it, you get the fresh air. You get a bit of camaraderie if there are people around you. You have a sense of freedom. You can go wherever you want. You feel the sun. You get the exhilaration of being in, in terrible storms. I always loved that. It was my favourite thing. Mm. One of my, my best memories was actually standing on the um, the bow of a square rigger in a, in a hideous storm trying to get to mm. Brest. And we ended up giving up and coming back. But it was um i was getting soaked by the by the wind and i lo- i loved i loved every- i was i was i was tied on i didn't think the ship was going to sink i was quite happy 
And I yeah, was safe. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. What, what can you add to those comments about having fun on boats? Well, I, I always um, say when, when you know, people talk a lot about the therapeutic value of sailing, and um, I always think the genius of sailing is that um, it, there's, there's, you are constantly occupied. There's always just enough to do to keep you busy, um, but not enough to overwhelm you normally in a, in a regular situation. Occasionally things get a bit stressy and sometimes things get a little bit boring. But on, on the whole, there's always just enough to keep you busy um, and keep your brain engaged, um, which is why it's, it's, it's so therapeutic therapeutic you're constantly solving small problems um but um, not being over hopefully not being overwhelmed by them yeah but golly gosh it can overwhelm you which is where i think we come to these these themes <laughs> that's what i was going to say so, so, so an, another thing about the sea is that um um you should never you should never forget that the sea doesn't care the, the sea is, and that it, it's uh, it's unrelenting. So there's no point in in thinking that um, when it's a nice day that the sea is being kind to you, that the you know, that, that that lovely calm water and sun is is somehow being kind, or that when it's being when it's rough, that it's being cruel. There's the, the, the the sea doesn't care either way, and and you have to mould yourself to whatever the mood of the sea. You have to mould yourself to the sea, not the other way around. And um, as long as you can do that and you can adapt yourself, then you'll do all right. But if you, if you try and fight it, then you're on a losing battle. But Nick, when it does go wrong, I mean, I've just jotted a few things down here. Loneliness, fear, exhaustion, illness. Um, there's a sense, I think, of the sea um, sort of magnifying things that might be wrong. Do you disagree? Do you, do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely is. I always think it's interesting to compare the sea to um, putting your your hand in the water that your it, it, your hand is magnified in water and so it, it is with your emotions and with, with um, feelings when you're at sea that some, somehow the experience of being at sea intensifies and magnifies your feelings. And there's a, yes, there's a lot, a lot to to deal with out there at sea. Um, as you say, things like claustrophobia, seasickness, just the the sheer physical um, enterprise of sailing a ship can be very demanding. Um, so there's plenty there to challenge people. And famously, what they say about the sea, famously the the sea brings out the inner you. So 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 that you you, you can't. Um, you can't make excuses with the sea. It'll, it, it'll, it'll get to the core of who you are and how you deal with the sea reveals so much about yourself. Have you ever been on a boat where someone's who you think is quite normal has gone a bit weird? I have, <laughs> several times. Um, I think that the, the most common thing, of course, on, on, on boats is, is when um, the um, otherwise calm skipper who you've known in the pub and chatted to and is all, all um, smiles and, and, and friendly suddenly becomes a, a bit of a despot, um, which, of course, I would, I would never do myself. But um, that, that's famous, <laughs> so he says <laughs> the, the famous caricature of um, sailors at sea. It seems to happen. Yeah usually sparked by not enough sleep and too much alcohol oh yes um, uh, yeah I, th I think yeah. the combination of those two and cold as well um i w the, the um, sailing in the cold was always very very difficult stressful um so when you have 
uh, when you've been stopping off and you've all drunk too much, you finally got to port and then you get back in and then it's freezing. Mm. I mean, I've, I've been sailing up in the Denmark Straits mm. and um, where it's, it's exceptionally cold and you need greater reserves of everything. Um, and uh, no, I just, you know, I, I've, I've been on on ships where everyone has got along and then it's all become fractious. But, you know, apparently nothing's really changed apart from having spent a bit more time with each other. Yeah. And um, the sort of kind of the, the, the wilderness of, of four or six hour watches when you're by yourself just staring out at the sea. I think it can get to anyone. Mm, mm. See, I, I find all that mostly, mostly very, very therapeutic and enjoyable because <laughs> I'm a bit of a loner. Um, well, I, what I was going to say is, is, is that... Um, well, well, we'll probably come into it, but in, in case we don't, just just that um, one of the things personally I've experienced more um, with being on boats uh, and in, and to some extent in, in in foreign lands is is being an outsider and um, be, being um, uh, living living on a boat certainly and living on a boat abroad makes you a double outsider and something of a misfit in society and and um, I spent fifteen years on boats as a kid and coming back to England took quite a lot of readjustment and I think probably I'm still haven't fully adjusted but um, you, I, I think I've turned that around uh, into a positive by by being a writer and being uh, being an outsider as a writer is is um, quite important I think it's, it's a very useful thing to be an outsider <laughs> um, so, so, so in a way I've, I've turned that to my advantage it is it's, it's also great fun yeah. Well done you. Well done you. Now, this all has a history. I think that's the point about this and what you've discovered. And it has a very ancient history. And if you look back through through time, there are some of the most um, extraordinary stories. I won't say wonderful, extraordinary stories of um, whether it's psychological drama or people losing their mind at sea. Um, the Odyssey. Let's begin there. That was that was the first psychological drama set at sea, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'll argue the first, the first drama, written drama anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think the, the interesting thing about the Odyssey is um, particularly how, how it um, compares to the Iliad. Um, the Iliad's all about um, being on land, governance, the certainty of fate. Whereas with the Odyssey, um, Homer, t Homer turns inwards and he does this by... by largely by setting it at sea and what, what happens then as soon as you set the story at sea is filled with uncertainty and that in turn poses questions and demands on the character of Odysseus and his men so for, for, from being being a, a, a war drama it's, it becomes more of a, a, a psychological drama um, I would argue um, and um, Odysseus and his men, they, they set off at first, um, just as they were um, um, in Troy, bloodthirsty, um, full, full of vitality and, and, and confidence. And they, they um, cause a bloodbath, they, 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 they butcher people as they go um, and um, carry on like this until they get to, um, until they get to uh, Cape Cap Malia in the in the south of Greece and they're, they're there on their ships and they get caught in a storm and they're, they're, they're caught in a storm for nine days and when they come out of it they are totally transformed 
It's as if the, sh the sea has, has um, remolded them. Sh um, and they, they come out almost like, like gullible children and they, they, they fall into trap after trap, um, wh whether it's at the, the, with the, the lotus eaters or whether it's um, drinking Circe's spiked wine, eating the sacred cattle. Um, they, they fall into every trap and each time Odysseus is the one who, who maintains his sobriety or his sanity and pulls them through it. And, and that's the, the, the drama that's enacted, is this psychological, dra psychological drama of him being tested over and over again. And really, each time the, the others are found wanting and he, he manages to save the situation. Until, of course, he, he's seduced by Calypso and, the, and, and then, then he's, um, he's trapped for seven years um, and the gods had to come and save him. And then he, he builds his, his ship and, and at that point, after he's built his little ship to sail home, again, it's the sea that intervenes. He's shipwrecked and he becomes a piece of flotsam. There's a wonderful line in the Chapman uh, version which says, um, the sea had soaked his heart through. And that's where he's found by Nausicaa and he's picked up as a, as a bit of flotsam off the beach and he's resurrected. And this is all really more psychological than anything. Um, uh, he, he's rebuilt and then eventually um, manages to, to go home back to Ithaca. It's the it's the genius of, of setting a drama at sea because there's a kind of a, an accepted understanding that lots of weird stuff can happen at sea. In fact, any, anything can happen at sea. It gives the um, the writer so much freedom and flexibility, doesn't it? And and it makes everything uncertain, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, as you say, anything can happen, and and the essence of it is uncertainty, which is which is really really true and accurate to to what to, it is like um, being at sea. And there's the fa the famous thing that that that. Um, sailors never say they're going to somewhere they only say they're going towards somewhere and you never <laughs> you never write in your log um, say you're, you're, you're leaving Falmouth um, and heading to, to um, Sir Mallow you never write Sir Mallow at the beginning of the day you only do that once you're firmly in harbour because you'll never be certain you're going to get to Sir Mallow you might have put in somewhere else or you might have turned around that, that, that degree of uncertainty that is, is um, innate and intrinsic to being at sea yeah Pringle Stokes now there's a character for you should we talk about him give us a, give us a bit of story about, about Pringle so he's out there on, on the Beagle out in the Pacific and um, here, here's a man who, who properly loses his mind Poor Pringle Stokes. I feel a huge amount of sympathy for Pringle Stokes. He's asked to do the impossible, really. Um, he's asked to survey the Strait of Magellan so that ships can uh, avoid sailing around Cape Horn. And he spent he spends two years on his, his little ship, the Beagle, 90 foot long, with 60 men on board, all uh, um, stuffed into this tiny little, little ship, really surveying the the uh, the coast in all weathers and most of most of the time the weather is horrific he he surveys the land using a sextant and the these very precise tools all handheld on a small boat so after two years um you can feel you can imagine that um he he, he gets more and more worn down by it and as he writes his description of the land there is, is a place where, where the soul of a man dies in him. 
And sure enough, that's, that is what happens to him, poor man. And he ends up lock, locking himself up in his cabin and eventually um, he shoots himself. Sadly, even then, he bungles it and he misses. So he's left um, die, dying a very slow death until gangrene eventually kills him. After his death, it turns out that he, he hasn't been doing the job at all, that his, um, his lieutenant has actually been doing all the work and that he was basically unable to cope with, with the task in hand. There's a tragic, tragic story with an amazing and enormous um, subsequent follow-up because the man who is chosen to succeed him on the Beagle is, of course, Robert Fitzroy, um, aged just 23, who is uh, an, an excellent mariner and a, a great character, and uh, at least three admirals in his family. He passed all his naval exams with four marks, but he too has a skeleton in the cupboard, which is his uncle, who um, committed suicide by slashing his, his um, throat with a penknife. So there's, there's this in the background. Um, Robert Fitzroy takes over for, from Pringle Stokes, and in a strange and a bizarre series, sequence of events, he ends up kidnapping, effectively, four of the native people, uh, Fujian natives. A girl they call Fujian Basket, and a boy, and two men. And he takes them back to England, um, really, as um, his excuse is that he wants to train them up, teach them English, um, uh, so they can spread the word of God in Patagonia. But he, um, he, he obviously has very, a great interest in them and he um, shows them around all his, his um, well-to-do friends, including the king and queen. Um, the problem comes when um, one of the men takes an undue interest in the young girl and we think and um, probably gets her pregnant, so that um, Fitzroy is in a big rush to, to get them out of England to get, keep them away from scandal. But he persuades the Admiralty to, to uh, fund a second expedition to uh, Patagonia and this time decides to take a companion. He knows he's, his um, family is susceptible to, to mental illness and he thinks it's a good idea to have someone there to talk to. And the person he ends up choosing through a process of selection is, is um, a young student called Charles Darwin. And it's, it's um, by this bizarre, this strange sequence of events that um, Charles Darwin ends up sailing to the Pacific on board the Beagle uh, with, with um, Robert Fitzroy. And of course, um, through that voyage, uh, develops his um, theories of evolution and writes the origin of the species. The sad aftermath of this is that um, after Robert Fitzroy gets home, eventually, four years later, he's eventually, eventually sets up the Met Office and um, really invents the concept of um, weather forecasting. But in 1860, Charles Darwin uh, publishes The Origin of the Species and Fitzroy is so devastated by his, the, the idea that he has contributed to this, this um, concept, um, being a, a, a strong Christian, that um, eventually he actually takes his own life as well, in exactly the same way his father, his uncle did rather, taking a razor blade to his throat. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Grim. Very grim, very grim. That's a very long story. I was almost going to say it's too long to get into. <laughs> I don't know what you think. No, no, it's it's fascinating. It all all um, traces back to poor old Pringle Stokes. It all goes back to poor old Pringle Stokes, who's, who's just an inadequate man, really, or normal man, and asked to do something extraordinary. Um, I have great sympathy for him. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, his his experience was was not unusual. And I was fascinated by all of the naval records you came across at the uh, Haslar Naval Hospital in Gosport, which really does make it so clear that Pringle Stokes is, I mean, his experiences were completely unique. But but I think the the um, the the stress and the trouble he was under that that caused him such mental difficulty was certainly shared by a surprisingly large amount of people, wasn't it? Yes. Well. The, um... Mental illness was 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 such a a a, a serious concern um, in in the navy that um, from 1755 onwards, sailors were sent to a private establishment at um, Hoxton House for treatment. When that when that was found to be inadequate and and actually pretty much inhumane, in 1818 they converted a block or built a block F at Haslar um, to to house what they called the naval maniacs. And the naval maniacs. Naval maniacs is what they were called, yes. Mm. And um, yes, so, so they treated them um, as as best they could at the time. And a lot of bloodletting, as you can imagine. But um, yeah, the, 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 the reasons people um, gave for being there, and they're, they're, they're quite detailed records written at the time, very, very poignant, some of them. Um, that that There are the um, all kinds of... Um, dramatic reasons such as um, sailors injured in action their, their limbs and eyes being lost and um, knocks to the head from blocks from the in, in the rigging but um, what I found touching and uh, moving going through all the, the, the those um, accounts was how many of them were, were just very simple mundane things the day-to-day -day things of having to deal with fellow sailors with their their colleagues being jealous 
of their 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 their, their wives or back home who they, they worried were seeing other men um, or falling out of love falling in love and um, their relations relatives dying all kinds of of, of very, very sort of not mundane but everyday type concerns rather than the yeah. the big the high drama you might expect at the, on the high seas it makes it so much more human isn't it if you say oh, well i've got a, i've got a list of the the naval records from these naval maniacs of the 18th century what do you think is wrong with them and you'd say well i'm sure that there was terrible brain brain trauma from battle and falling out of rigging and stuff but um the fact that it's just everyday stuff and missing home falling out of love that makes it really come alive and it, and that carries on when they do um when, when they did um surveys of of, of um of sailors uh, contemporary sailors um in in in, in um mental institutions and the reasons again were, were, were very very similar but my girl left me or, or i got lost um try, trying to get back to the naval base or it's all, all very very tri trivial things really and, and at the bottom of the list were were were, were the, the the more um predictable job related um incidents and i think it's really important that these aren't famous examples they're sort of slightly under the radar and they open up a, a whole tranche of history which we may not have thought about. However, there are some very famous examples of people losing their mind at sea. Um, perhaps most famous of all was Donald Crowhurst. Tell us about him. Donald Crowhurst, again, an, 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 another man. Well, he was he was an extraordinary man, um, and, and you 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 could you could um, argue he was a genius. He was a, an, an electronics expert who um, came up with an ingenious navigation device, which um, he tried to market back in in, in the nineteen sixties. And um, he was he was a, a, a great inventor, and he talked the talk, but um, he he couldn't really run his business very well. So so um, he he decided to promote himself by entering this round the world race. It's a famous round the world race sponsored by the Observer, called the Golden Globe Race, and he decided to enter the race to promote his his products. So um, as I say, he he, he was a great um, inventor, great talker, but not a great organizer. So by the time he he left his yacht, the Tynmouth Electron, um, left Tynmouth. That there were all kinds of things that weren't quite finished, and literally within days, things started falling apart. Um, after a week, within a week, one of the one of the, the house started filling with water, and he he soon realised that he wouldn't be able to sail around the world on this this boat, or if he did, he was very liable to sink. His problem was that um, if he gave up, then um, he'd mortgaged his house. And he'd lose his house. He, his business would go bankrupt. So he, he he was in in a impossible position where he had to keep going in order to 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 save his his house and business. So he came up with this this um, ruse of sailing around, essentially sailing sailing around in circles in the Southern Ocean, which takes some doing in itself, and then a real really clever thing he, was to. Um, speculate to project where he would have been and and um, send out false um false positions um of his alleged navigation around the the world so he he basically faked his circumnavigation and just at the point when he should have been um coming back up the atlantic 
he suddenly reconnected with the media and announced that he was on his way home. He was he was trying to come a in, in third place so that um, to, to not attract too much attention, but to um, still finish the race. When um, suddenly the the person in second place sank and put all, a great deal of focus on him. Essentially, he spiralled into panic and started going again. <laughs> he, he, he started sailing around in circle, circles in the Sargasso Sea, losing all control of his ship, really, and writing this huge um, 25,000-word treatise about reconnecting with God. And eventually his ship was, his yacht was found with um, with no one on board, and um, it's presumed that he he jumped off the boat. And um, what was found on board were two sets of logs, um, one with his real positions and the other with the fake positions. And of course, this is, this was um, this became a huge story at the time. And subsequently, there have been plays written, books written, and most recently, a film uh, made called The Mercy. There are also numerous examples of people seeing things at sea. Have you come across any examples of that? Well, the most famous is the Fata, Fata Morgana, which is the uh, otherwise known as a superior mirage, which is when you see um, ships hovering above the horizon. And there have been quite a few instances recently uh, on social media and so forth and uh, in the news. Um, and I, remember, I do remember seeing that when I was a kid um, on a hot, hazy Day, particularly um, in Italy and near Sicily, the Straits of Messina, which is where that, a famous place for them, and um, the the um, looking over to the horizon, a um, headland would appear stratified and, and and as if it was hovering above above the horizon, um, and that's caused by by, by um, the, the um, it's called a temperature inversion. When um, the, the the hot air is over the cold air, and and the the light is refracted in a certain way, um, so that it appears higher than it really is, and it's thought that this is um, probably the origin of the Flying Dutchman, which was um, ah, the ghost ship that um, people used to spot and still do actually. I mean, they're, they're contemporary accounts of um, ships and yachts being seen, uh, even charging to towards towards um, cruising yachts and um then vanishing and um that, that that was a regular occurrence um another another of these illusions is, is is um hearing voices when you're at sea and that's um thought to be caused by the white noise of the waves and your your ear is trying to find trying to make sense of that white noise and it finds these voices with it with it within the waves and th those are some of the illusions they're also delusions, so 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 um, very quite surprisingly common with um, single-handed sailors, um, and often due to lack of sleep. The most famous was um, the the first, effectively the the first single first man to sail around the world single-handed, Joshua Slocum, who um, ate um, a bit too much uh, plum and cheese in the Canaries and um, got a, a, a terrible stomach pain, uh, cramp. And while he was, he was lying on the floor in great pain, he looked up and saw the pilot of the Pinter at the helm. 
uh, and the pilot said to him, fear not, I'll look after the ship, you sleep, uh, which is exactly what he did. And he, he woke up two days later to find the boat perfectly on course, all the sails perfectly trimmed, and he knew that um, the pilot of the Pinta had looked after him. And it's a thing that carries on with, with, with modern single-handed sailors. There, there, there's instances of sailors seeing um, one saw an elephant in the sea, and then he looked again, and it became a, a Ford popular car. And then he looked again, and, and it became a whale. And um, others have seen someone saw their father-in-law at the top of the mast. A French sailor saw uh, the Cardinal Richelieu holding a crocodile in the, in the bow of the boat. Another saw four, four old ladies having tea in the cockpit. Uh, so there are lots of these, these stories, um, basically due to, to lack of sleep. Wow. Well, we, we now know what that is. So they probably believed every... They knew what they saw. Exactly. <laughs> they knew what they saw. And there, there was a man with a crocodile on the bow. And often they don't question. They don't, at, 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 at the moment in time, they don't think, oh, that's strange. They just think, oh, yeah, there, there's a man with a crocodile. <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> so, I mean... Yeah, we should, um, uh, you know, we could wrap this up now and we've get, done some wonderful examples of, of people really not knowing what on earth was going on. But the sea, let's end on a positive note. It is a place of healing as well, isn't it? Yes. I mean, famously, and um, since, since um, ancient times, um, the sea has been a, a place of healing. The ancient Greeks knew that um, and and the Victorians knew that, which is why they they, they, they had so many um, coastal resorts. And um, yes, and the, and the sea air is supposed to um, contain negative ions, which makes you feel more energized. Um, so there's been a long history of this. Dr. Richard Russell set up his surgery in Brighton in 1753 and um, gave potions with cuttlefish bone and crab's eyes uh, mixed with salt water to, to treat people. Um, but more recently, uh, research by NASA has confirmed that swimming in cold water is good for you uh, and good for your health. But the, the proof of the pudding, I, I, I think, is, is an amazing story by a uh, former RAF commander, uh, Sean Pascoe, who served in Kosovo, Sierra Leone, Iraq, and did several um, sorties in Afghanistan. Um, and he headed a medical emergency unit with the RAF where they went in with Ch Chinook helicopters and um, retrieved um, wounded soldiers, up to one and a half thousand soldiers in his case. Um, you can imagine after a few years of that, he, he had... Um, he suffered um, mentally from, from the, the, the memory of it. And um, he was treated at the Maudsley Hospital for PTSD, as we now know it. And during this time, he was also taking he, sailing courses. And he would split his time. He'd, he'd go up and have his treatment in London at the Maudsley. And then um, cry his heart out, basically, and come back down. And what kept him going, he said, was knowing that he, 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 would, he would go out sailing with, with, his, with, with a bunch of people and, and find um, therapy that way. And so when, he, when he'd recovered in 2012, he set up a, an organisation called Turn to Starboard. And basically what they do is they, 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 they take out ex-service men and women and um, not only take them sailing, they teach them qualifications. So they, end, they come out of it with a qualification and possibly a new career. But um, above all, it's, it, it's, it's about sailing the, ther the therapeutic value and the healing value of, of being at sea that makes their work so invaluable. And more recently, they've, they've um, 
since the pandemic, they've been taking out um, NHS staff uh, for, at the front line to help them recover from the, the trauma of um, treating sick people. It's a wonderful, wonderful organisation that now has, has three boats, all based in Falmouth, and um, they, they, they sometimes go, go on long distant trips all around Britain, um, as well as doing local stuff to um, give people their qualifications. Yeah, that does sound fantastic. Um, Nick, that's been fascinating. I've hugely enjoyed talking to you, and I think your research is very important as well as very, very interesting. So well done, and thank you very much indeed for talking to me today. Um, Brilliant. All right, that's fantastic, Sam. Thank you for that. Thank you all so much for listening. Do please remember to find the Mariner's Mirror podcast on YouTube where you can see some fabulous videos we have been creating. Do especially make sure you look at the one where we use artificial animation to make ships' figureheads come alive. It's definitely my favourite. Please also leave us a review, especially if you are listening to this on iTunes. It's really easy. Just scroll down, hit five stars and tell us what you think and we will read your review out. This is hugely important. It will help us climb the ladder of podcasts. So quite simply, more people find out about us and we can change the way that more people think about the past. And that, after all, is our mission, to bring the world of maritime history to as many people as possible. And we simply can't do it without your help. So please also follow the Society for Nautical Research on social media and please, best of all, join the Society for Nautical Research. It really doesn't cost very much. Your annual subscription will help support this podcast. It will help publish the quarterly Mariner's Mirror Journal. It will help support the preservation of our maritime heritage and it will allow you to come to our annual dinner on board HMS Victory. There is simply no better way to spend your spare change and to feel good about yourself at the same time.